Good morning, church. Glad to be able to be with you today and uh, reflect a little bit further uh, as we kind of wrap up this series of conversations that we've been having. You remember the movie uh, Inside Out? I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, but it's a movie, animated movie that was certainly for more than just children. Uh, but the movie itself, the whole the whole concept of it was that there was this teenage girl and she was she was struggling and people didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and, and what we found out is that there was this whole internal world within her emotions that was, that was going on, that was, that was helping explain her behavior and her sadness and all of, all of this other stuff. So the point was that what you saw on the surface was helped explained by the internal world that was going on. And what was happening on the outside was a result of all of this complex stuff on the inside, right? Um, well, the opposite is also true. Okay, so, so when I say that, what I mean is that uh, if, if we start with the inside and attend to the emotions, attend to the, the things that are beneath the surface, the questions behind the questions in our lives, in our attitudes, in our actions, and, and if we acknowledge the places that have not yet been surrendered to Jesus, then we get to this point of eventually, like we've been talking about, letting those things be changed by Jesus. If we do that, it will actually not just lead to this internal difference, but a totally different external way of being in the world. And so we looked at this world of, of these ideas of changing what's happening inside us or letting Jesus change, I should say, uh, for the past few, few weeks. So we talked about acknowledging um, family wounds and, and habits and moving toward embracing forgiveness and grace. We talked about uh, the times, the honest times where we just don't sense the presence of God and those, those dark nights uh, and, and how that can actually lead us to deeper trust and faith. Uh, we talked about acknowledging our losses, grieving like Jesus, and understanding that Jesus gets it, and how much that changes our attitude where we can more openly embrace instead of push away the losses and the grief in our life. Uh, we talked about our inability to embrace limits and, and finding rest in Jesus. Uh, in in a, a world that is so rushed and hurried and mentally draining as well. And, uh, and last week we talked about owning our own maturity and growing up in Christ, which often means becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. All of these areas that, that, that help us experience the love of God in deeper ways. And, and so this is all about what happens inside of us, right? Like I just said, letting God change what's beneath the surface. And when that begins to take root, what flows out of us is a different way of life, a different way of being, and a different way of seeing the whole world. Um, and so, so we become fundamentally changed in our external actions when the inside is where we start. Uh, so, so we're going to look at the scriptures today, and specifically the early church a little bit, to consider two characteristics that flow out of Christ followers because of how we've been changed inside. Okay, and they're really, they're, they're really simple, uh, but they're worth reflecting on for a few minutes. I think we need simple these days. Uh, I know I do. The first one is, is this. Again, super simple. A willingness to be different. It sounds really juvenile, doesn't it? When we have let Jesus transform the deepest places in us, we eventually will have a greater willingness to be different and set apart from the way things are and the way that people think and act around us as, as normal, right? Um, 
Jesus sets us free from what Paul says, the patterns of this world in the book of Romans. Um, in Peter's uh, letter to the early church, he says this about being different. He says, you, you are a chosen people, a royal, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Catch the idea here that you're, you're God's very own possession so that you can show others the goodness of God. You are, you are unique. You're called to be different. You're called to help people see how good God is because he's led you into light. So you get to, you get to shine that light out into the world. Um, there's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Think about that as you just look at those words. Think about being God's very own possession. We're owned by God, right? We're beholden to God. You know how we often talk about politicians who are beholden to special interest groups, right? Where we say that they've been bought. Um, in, in other words, regardless of what we want, they're going to do what's best for their special interest groups because they're, they're owned by them. Well, what if we turn that whole idea on its head and, and thought about it in a new way? You know, regardless of what the world pressures us toward, we've been bought out already. <laughs> I, I love this idea. Our actions will always be in the special interest of God's kingdom, regardless of any other pressures. It owns us. It, it directs us. But for the good of the world, see that second, that second sentence, for the good of the world, not for selfish gain. We're this group of people called to act differently, called to be unique because we are God's possessions. Now, I wonder why the ways that we're different from the world don't often seem to reflect so that we can show others the goodness of God. It's almost like we tend to be different in a lot of the wrong, the wrong ways. Um, because Jesus has forgiven us of, of our sins somehow, we have the tendency to become arrogant and judge other people for theirs. Uh, we're called to be set apart from the world, but then that can lead to us uh, not being willing to associate with anybody outside ourselves, and we become aloof, and we become disconnected from uh, those we're called to love. Uh, we're called to stand firm in the truth of the goodness and the, and the good news of God in Christ. But then we're afraid to have robust conversations with people whose opinions might differ from us, or we're so easily angered that we, we lose our witness completely. These are the sorts of things that, that are the wrong type of different in the world. It's worth taking a look at how the earliest Christians understood being different in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Now remember, this is directly after Pentecost, okay? So this is directly after the Spirit descended among the believers, um, and, and uh, there was this kind of mass turning to Jesus because people experienced the good news in their own languages from all these other cultures. So there's all these people from different cultures. We've, we rarely think about this when we think about the early church. A bunch of the people who came to Christ were told that there were like 3,000 at Pentecost. And this is the next story after that. A bunch of them spoke different languages, were from different regions, everything like that. We do expect that some of them went home, but others would have stayed there because this movement captured them in such a way that they became a part of something new. So, so think about all these different people with all these different backgrounds that are starting to experience Jesus. And here's what we see in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Uh, we read in verse 42, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
Check this out. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at these actions and how different they were from the world around them and from, from the, the ways of, of thinking that would have dominated uh, so many uh, people and, and so many of, of the cultural distinctives at the time that dealt with who was allowed to associate with who and how it all, how it all worked. Uh, it's, it's crucial that we remember that uh, the church didn't exist yet in Acts 2. Uh, this was all brand new. You know, the disciples had been nomadic with Jesus. So the idea of, of church communities, they were not a thing until now. So there were no rules. Nobody told the early church, here's what you have to do to get it right. Th there was no playbook. They had only experienced whatever they had experienced in Jesus. Some of the disciples, some through the spirit, uh, a whole bunch of people. They'd just been changed forever by the good news. And so the question then was, now that we've given our lives to Jesus, now that we're owned by God, what kind of a reality do you form? What kind of a people do you create? Um, what kind of practices happen when you've been changed by Jesus on the inside? And so one of the distinctives, one of the ways to be different was sharing. They decided we're going to share. They, they shared uh, the table together. They shared meals, which meant that they, the rich and the poor shared community together. There was generosity. There, there was, was a, a shared, not just a, sh not, when we think about sharing, we think about all of our possessions being held in common. And there was an openness to all of that, of, of Jesus holding, I'm sorry, of the community of Jesus holding everything in an open hand. But the really cool part about that was that that meant the rich and the poor were sharing life together in a new way. It meant that all of these old, all these cultural distinctives were changed, radically different from the world around them. Um, Learning was another part of this, this what were we going to be different? They, they chose to commit to continually reflecting on what God's heart looks like in the world and learn new ways to be faithful. So they were constantly listening and weighing ideas and, and, and teachings and what it looked like to, to kind of faithfully walk the way of Jesus. And then praying. So sharing, learning, and praying was the other. Connection with God was essential. But, and, and, and it set them apart in a unique way because they did it together, but not because they were supposed to. This is what we have to catch on, which is the second part of, of our conversation today. Uh, they didn't pray, they didn't share, they didn't learn because they were supposed to, because that's what you did um, with, with this, this new Jesus thing, that there was some list of rules that... that they were given. They did it because they had a desire to. They did it because they desired so deeply to be with Jesus, to hear the voice of Jesus, to learn what it looked like to live in this kingdom that Jesus proclaimed, all of those things, to have this connection for grace and for guidance. The early church was unafraid to be different in all sorts of different ways, different even from their Jewish roots. And today, the same calling and the same identity has been given to us. There's so many normal life assumptions right now that Christians are intended to live differently from. You know, ideas about life that, that the, the end-all be-all is never-ending accumulation. Uh, 
That when someone wrongs you, you, you tear them down. That you only love people with strings attached. That success looks like huge amounts of influence and power and, and wealth and prestige, right? Uh, or, or that it's good to eliminate everyone from your life except your own tribe. That you should fit perfectly within a political party and then give, give it your loyalty. That it's okay to devalue human life. All of these things are things that we are called to be able to be different from, but we are so tempted to buy into day after day. If Jesus changes us, we can embrace what it means to be different, to be odd, to not play by the rules of the world. Uh, it's not easy, but it's good. It's good. So the first, the first sign of an internal life that is expressed outwardly is that Christ followers are unafraid to be different. Think about the kids at school when you were younger that were, that were different. The ones who were a little, a little odd. Uh, the strange or peculiar ones, right? Often those are the kids that early on in school, they get bullied, they get overlooked. They get the awkward glances from people, right? Um, but those kids later on, those, those different kids, and sometimes the kids who are unafraid to be different, they're the ones who, who know who they are as they get older. They're the ones who aren't afraid to be different because they've seen how hollow being the same is. Uh, they inspire others. They become our leaders often. They become our scientists, <laughs> our, our inventors. They become our poets. They become our spiritual leaders. They aren't afraid to be different. They, they're able to live unique and beautiful lives because of their own calling and wiring. And we have been called by God so much more because we've been set free to be people who live peculiar lives of love and faithfulness and, and freedom. But so often, here we go, that becomes a task list. So often. So a second characteristic of a life flowing out of Jesus, the external, the outward flow, is a heart of desire. So we talked about a willingness to be different or to be unafraid to be different. And the second thing is a heart of, of desire. The more that we travel with Jesus, the more we actually want to live differently rather than just being committed to live differently. And this is, this is really important. This is a hard thing to teach on because it's not like, hey, just create desire just like that. And yet, at some point in our faith, if it's going to become um, deeper, let me move out of the sun here. There we go. Uh, if it's going to become deeper, if it's going to become more developed, we have to move out of the realm of just our mind. And, and, and the resolve of the hard work of discipleship. Both things, important. Both things matter. But, uh, but we have to move beyond that. We have, to, we have to move beyond being ruggedly committed to discipleship and let that be partnered with something that looks a whole lot less like work and a whole lot more like falling in love. This, this can't be taught. It can only be experienced. Uh, this is about tasting the sweetness and the love and the grace of God and landing at a place where nothing in all of the world could possibly compare to knowing that love and to walking with that Lord. Nothing. Um, the psalmist says it's better to be a servant in the kingdom of God, right, than a freed man anywhere else. What a great phrase. Better to be a servant, a doorman at the house of God, a servant in the kingdom than free anywhere else because it's way more spacious, way more beautiful, way more good, way more free.
in God's kingdom. Uh, there's no hint of begrudging faithfulness in a statement like that. Desiring God and desiring God's kingdom and God's world, that changes everything in our lives, especially right now. This is why a rule-based behavior can become so destructive uh, for Christians. A faith that's, uh, that's based on following rules is nothing like the treasure Jesus talks about that a man finds in a field. And when he discovers this treasure, he goes home and he, it's so valuable that, that uh, he gives up all of his life savings right? He gives up his retirement plan, his, his equity in his, in his house, his hopes and his dreams, they all change and he trades them in for a whole new plan, one that's not even close in comparison. It's so much better and he doesn't even think twice about it. That's how good it is. And so, um, so the, the power of a story like that is that that is life with God. That is life with, uh, with God's people. That's, that's a world that if we get it right, if we understand how good God is, no one enters it begrudgingly. No one says, oh, I can't believe I have to receive this treasure. And there's something beautiful about that, that concept. My kids, um, they love roller coasters. Whoops, wrong picture. There we go. They love roller coasters. And all the time they talk about wanting to go to, to Cedar Point in Ohio. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cedar Point in Ohio. I guess it's like the roller coaster capital of Ohio, maybe. Um, I guess maybe the rest of the country too. I'm, I'm not positive, but the point, the point is that, uh, that, you know, we're probably going to go there at some point and, and, and celebrate, uh, with my kids because I like bringing them joy. And this seems to be something that they desperately, desperately want to do. Um, but, but, uh, I, I started thinking about this and I was reflecting on, on desire and here's what I thought. I thought that in my life, I have never seen a child begrudgingly walk into a theme park's entrance doors. Just think about that a minute, right? In fact, there's so much excitement that the kids are often dragging their parents behind, like by the arm. Come on, we got to get in faster, faster, faster. Uh, they don't want to leave. You know, they're, they're so eager. You know, Jesus might say that the kingdom of God is like an amusement park to an 11 year old. It's so full of wonder. It's so beautiful. It's so, it's so desirable. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to do the bumper cars and then the tilt-a-whirl and then the suspension roller coaster all before lunch. Said no kid ever, right? When, when Jesus captures our hearts, there is still times that resolve and intentionality to live differently are, are really hard without question. Um, but that's not where the journey ultimately leads either. As, as we continue, the journey leads to this overwhelming desire as we grow to become more a part of the kingdom and to do the things of Jesus because we can see clearly through the emptiness of everything else. We can see how hollow life is when we live for ourselves or when we take part in the immature um, battles rather than fighting the, the valuable battles of love with the power and the attitude of grace. God's goodness is just so much better. So knowing, knowing God is simply the greatest pleasure in the world. Pleasure. Knowing God is simply the greatest pleasure in the world. With no, with no strings attached, with, with no extra explanation needed. And it's worth the price of any field and the price of admission in any theme park or or national park, if that's more your style. Um, yeah.
when that hits home, living according to the kingdom's values will be a privilege and a joy more and more rather than just a task. We're set free. We're set free to forgive. God is with us. We, there's no pressure in anything. Uh, we're, we're set free from judgment. We're set free to care for the poor freely and openly. Oh, it's, it's incredible. We're, we're set free to rest. We're set free to commune with God at all times, with God's people, to move beyond the need to prove ourselves and beyond the need to accumulate things to feel secure. And, and when we grasp this, we just desire more and more and more of God. And it changes how we do those different actions in the world because we desire it. Um, we move into what Eugene Peterson calls a, a new country of grace, life in a new land. I love a new country of grace. That sort of country gives you freedom to run with the creative energy and the creative power of God's love unhindered by anything. Maybe that's part of Paul's challenge to the Philippians when he says um, in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like he's given them all these teachings about the way to live in the world as disciples. But he says, hey, by the way, don't, don't do this with grumbling or arguing. If you're, if you're grumbling about it, you've, you've missed the chance to experience what life is actually like as God's kids. Did you forget that you're God's kids? When you, when you do things willingly and desiring the, the kingdom with your full heart, then you get to be children of God and you get to shine among the world like stars in the sky. It's so, such great language. What an image to love without grumbling, to serve without grumbling, to give and forgive and work for justice without grumbling because our desire is God and to do God's work and to make God's world now. It's, it's inspiring to think about these things. It's inspiring to think that, that as we become more at peace with who God has made us and with what it means to follow Jesus, more at peace with giving Jesus access to every piece of who we are, that when we get to that point, the external elements of our lives, the, we, we often talk about an iceberg, you know, with what's under the surface. When, when that is solid, then what's above the surface will actually be a direct correlation of all of that. We can live differently with as much freedom as we want, and we won't even be having to live differently because of this rugged commitment to, but because we desire God. This, again, these, these concepts, they sound really, really simplistic in some ways. But I encourage you, if, if you don't sense that desiring God, like truly desiring to know and rest in the love of God and to grow in that, is, is capturing your heart, um, maybe it's time to slow down a little bit. Maybe it's time to, to read the Gospels again and discover the words of Jesus and what Jesus says. Maybe it's time to read the story of the prodigal son again, fresh, and watch the Father's love and just be delighted. Maybe it's time to read about the kingdom parables and learn uh, what this kingdom that Jesus portrayed was again and how freeing and inclusive and broad and radical it all is. Uh, don't be afraid to be odd. Don't be afraid to be different because Jesus has set us free. I went on a run the other day at night in the rain, in the woods. Um, it was an interesting experience. I kind of like doing that sometimes like people do, right? Uh, but, but it was after kind of a hard day and I felt this, this need to just 
invite the presence of Jesus to come, the advent of Jesus, of Christ coming. And for some weird reason, I was inspired to sing Christmas carols while I ran. Yep. Um, and and uh, I don't like Christmas carols ever before Thanksgiving. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to share the story, but it's, it may not be a perfect illustration, but it's maybe some way to end. Um, and, uh, and so I ran miles in the rain, slowly, singing as many Christmas carols as I could possibly think of. Come, O come, Emmanuel. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Ah, uh, oh, chains shall he break. All of the beautiful, beautiful imagery of God's coming to the world and all I wanted at that moment as I ran through trails and then through streets and I don't think too many people heard me but there were cars and people around. I was just singing soaked because I needed to rest in the freedom of being a little bit odd as a Christ follower. Um, it might look completely different for you to be unafraid to be different. Um, but what are the odd practices that you'll embrace this week to, to be set apart from the world? Not because you're supposed to be set apart from the world, but because the kingdom of God is at work in you. What are the, what are the practices like the early church figured out and began to do? Not because they had to, not because there was any template, but because they wanted to know God and they wanted to love God's world more. Where will you be peculiar? And will you open yourself up again in a new way to let Jesus capture your heart? Will you, let, will you open yourself up and unplug enough to let desire grow and be, be uh, ignited again in you? Will you let yourself be softened by Jesus to be transformed so that all these desires of action and all of these faithfulness um, ways of living don't become a task don't become a set of chores, but become the only possible thing that you could want to do because God's goodness is so good, because you've been rescued and set free, and uh, because you want nothing more than the kingdom to come in the fullness and to do it alongside Jesus as a partner and as a servant to the Lord. Maybe take some time for joyous surrender and for embracing weirdness this week a little bit. Um, faith doesn't have to be all work. Jesus, uh, I pray that you would personally speak to us about the ways in which we express externally the inward change that you've brought in us. Give us creative ideas for how to partner with you in bringing your kingdom about and ignite our hearts so that we desire you and that we never turn the beautiful, spacious places of your grace into another religious task list. Send us out in your power so that we might be known by people of love. Amen. Thanks, friends. Have a great week.